0: Welcome to the Helping Families Be Happy podcast, where we explore the often messy world of family, love, and relationships. I am your host for this podcast, Dr. Carla Marie Manley, a practicing clinical psychologist, wellness expert, and author based in Sonoma County, California. I've teamed up with Familius Publishing to bring you nourishing real life information about love, family, relationships, and life. And now I am absolutely thrilled to introduce today's guest Antonio Sacre who will be talking with us about his book My Name is Cool. All right Antonio that is quite an introduction My Name <laughs> is Cool. Are we referring to you?
1: <laughs> we sort of are actually yes. My my father comes from Cuba and my mom is Irish American and so in my Cuban side of the family we have all of these nicknames and so I've I'm called by different things by different people and so as a kid it was a little confusing. But I came to realize after many years that um, even though it was unique and long and difficult to pronounce, it was really cool to do so. So this is uh, this is that's my my little bit of the story about the name for sure.
0: So wait, cool is difficult to pronounce, (laughs) or Antonio is difficult to pronounce, (laughs) (laughs) or something in between.
1: Something in between, you know. And I I grew up in Delaware in the 1970s, and so you know we were for 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 a number of years, the only family that had, you know, a Cuban father and spoke Spanish in our house. And so, you know, my, my, full, it was the first day of school every year, right? The teacher would say Antonio Bernardo Sacri. And, and it would never sounded the way my dad said it. Now my mom is from Boston. So she would say Antonio Bernardo Sacri. So I, I like, even just that was like, <laughs> people say, how do you say your name? And I'm like, I don't know. My mom says it one way. My dad says it another way. Nobody can pronounce it. Um, So I quickly found that it was just easier in school if I told the teachers even before they read the roll call that my name was Tony, my name is Tony and that's it. And so it was, you know, at the time it was just sort of expedient. I just wanted them to get through it. But in some ways it was really like saying, I don't want you to know about this part of my culture. I don't want you Ah. to enter into this. And and every year I, I remember feeling like I remember the first time I understood that my dad had an accent, you know, I was at home. He was just my dad, but at school, the kids were like, why does your dad speak so funny? And it was, well, he doesn't speak funny. He just speaks like my dad. But then I began to realize, oh, wait a minute. You know, there are certain things he can't say, right? He always says, uh, instead of saying the word chicken, he says chicken. So I understood that chicken was how my dad said it. And chicken was how my mom said it. But other kids would be thrown by that. Like, what is he saying? You know? And so it was... You know then there, then there was a time when I got a little embarrassed. I was embarrassed that my mm. dad had this. Also he uh, he messes up American idioms. So he loves them. You know, it's, you know there's a couple of things that when somebody's learning a foreign language, one is that you know if you can laugh in that language, you know that you understand that language. Yes. you know if you think about you know just even a simple knock knock joke, you know, knock knock, who's there? Hatch. Hatch you. God bless you. Like that works in English extraordinarily well. It does not translate into Spanish. So if you laugh at that joke in English, you have learned enough English to understand why that's the case, right? So, you know, the idioms, my dad would learn them from my mom and then he would try to use them, you know, after a big rainstorm, he say, oh, mijo, it's raining cows and horses. I'm like, papa, like, no, it's cats and dogs. Mijo, some animals are falling from the sky, you know? so And it was a big joke for all of us. And then I didn't realize that it was something too, you know, it was the seventies and things were different back then oh, kids can now make fun of my dad for that, you know? And mm-hmm. oh, now I didn't want them to make fun of my dad. And then I didn't want my dad to be speaking so they could hear, you know? So it became this weird, this weird dance that was happening. Now, conversely, at the same time, I would go down and see my grandmother in Miami and I was, you know, losing my Spanish as the years went by. And so I began to speak Spanish like an English speaker. And so she's making fun of me for not being able to roll my R's or not being able to laugh at the jokes or, you know? So I, I was like, I was in between the two cultures, you know, and all of this comes from years of sort of reflection and reading and writing and thinking about it. And, you know, in between the two cultures, and never quite sure of like, how did, where did I really fit in there? You know?
0: Absolutely. An identity crisis. For sure. Absolutely. I can't not say this. So how does the chicken cross the road? Or why does the chicken
1: cross the road? Why does the chicken cross the road? (laughs)
0: That's my that's my attempt at a joke. Okay, a moving like on. So, like what makes you you?
1: Oh, it's lovely question. You know, I think it's funny. Uh, I we 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 share in common our 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 publisher familius. We both have books yes. Familius. Yes. and um, I feel like a huge part of who I am. It's uh, it's uh it's a lovely question. I think as I'm a reader, I you know that's mm. the thing that I have just always been. Um, I sort of fell into writing and I love writing and there's a lot I can talk to about writing, but it's really just reading. You know, I I remember as a kid, even like reading the the back of the cereal box and reading, like just literally reading everything I could get my hands on. And then being amazed that you could go to the library and get as many books as you could. Ah, treasure chest. Exactly. (laughs) And then, you know, uh, uh, oh, this is funny. My, my mom, I got into Stephen King around junior high school mm. and it was scary covers and, and bloody. And, you know, uh, you know and this was back when Stephen King had only written about 15 novels. And then one summer I, I went through every single novel and I read them twice, I think. And, and I, I said, mom, there's no new Stephen King novel coming out for another year. I can't believe it. I read all the books. And she says, well, you know, honey, there are other books in the library. <laughs> <laughs> and i said well yeah but they're probably not as good as stephen king and she says yeah you're you're right probably not as good as stephen king she says let me get you a couple and she came home and she gave me a uh, hemingway the sun also ah. rises and i read that book and i remember saying and my mom still made fun of me for this years later i said you know mom that Hemingway guy, he's pretty good. He's not as good as Stephen King, but he was pretty good. <laughs> he's pretty good, huh? He's pretty good. And is, is there anybody else like him? So that that began my like just deep love affair with books. And I ended up becoming an English major. And now, you know, now as an adult, it's just a, a huge part of my life. And I work so much with children. So I get to read children's books and then I have two children. And when they were younger, I was reading, you know, all the old classics, *Goodnight Moon, and then all the new classics that have been coming out. Um, so I think that's, that's a huge part of who I am. The second part is I am a writer and it, it's hard to even admit that sometimes, you know, cause sometimes it's like, you know, how many books have you written or, or do you have any bestsellers or have I heard of your books? And the answer is no, you probably haven't. But, you know, I've been, my mom gave me a journal when I was in the third grade. And she said I could write whatever I wanted in the journal. Mm. You know, and up to that point in school, you had to write the prompts. So what I did on my summer vacation, you know, there was uh, you know, things that they would give you. And I, I didn't feel like I was a creative writer at all. And in that journal, I was creative and I kept a journal for years and years. And um, and then it was after in graduate schools I was studying English and I had to take a writing class and I didn't want to, and it was scary. And it was, you know, a college professor that said, Oh my goodness! You're a writer. You are a writer, <sighs> and um, so much so that she said you should apply for an MFA program and try to go into writing. And that was a, that was a bridge too far for me. That was too scary. The application process—you had to have six short stories, and I'd only written three, and I didn't know how I would do it. So you know, years later, from all that years of reading and years of journal journal keeping, I now can say that I am a writer. That's the thing. It's just a part of my life. I write a lot of times I write for pay. A lot of times I write for free. A lot of times I write for myself. I write little, uh, silly notes to my children in their lunch boxes that mm. make them laugh. Uh, you know, little love notes to my wife. So, uh, you know, writing is, is also who I am. And then lastly, you know, for sure, a child of, of two cultures, you know, I, I, and, and really like uh, <laughs> one of my, you know, Jack of all trades and master of none, uh, I, you know, I I'm not really fully Boston Irish like my cousins and I'm not really fully first generation Cuban like my Miami cousins. You know, I'm somewhere in between. And um, and that's something that I've become very comfortable with, especially mm-hmm. no- noticing the number of families out there who have blended circumstances. And it's that blend. includes everything in the 70s my parents actually did ended up getting getting a divorce and so that's a huge part of being i was one of the only kids who had divorced parents only kid who had a, oh my know, goodness yeah so you know but now like there's so many different permutations of family and and i i've worked with so many you know foster children and and children in random circumstances and and so it's you know, I, I feel like I, I have a little bit of empathy for all of these, these situations. Like we are, we are those people. We're the people in the middle. We're in between cultures. We're in between languages. We're in between parents, mom on the weekends, dad on the weekends, mom, the, you know what I mean? And so what is it like to be in between and how do we, how do we celebrate and survive that? So I feel like that, that's a, a long answer to a very beautiful question.
0: Well, it's a beautiful answer. And it really helps me understand more, not just about you as a person, but your mission in life, because you are all of these things and so many more. You are the reader that, that then led to the writer. And you are also, you know, that person who lives in that blended world of of two cultures. So you, you have that to offer. And it's really interesting your clearly a good husband, clearly a good father to your children, and clearly a really wonderful mentor to so many people. All going back, it seems like part of the genesis is that you didn't know what to make of your name. Mm -hmm. And so you didn't know how to handle that. And so, so much of all of these pieces of you have come together to say, wait a second, no matter what your name is, no matter how many balancing acts are going on in your life or behind the scenes, your name is cool. You are cool. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Is that, how did I do there?
1: Amazing. Actually, I think that that's, it's funny. I, I do uh, for years, I've been making a living telling stories to children in classrooms and libraries and festivals. And then of course, a lot of times their parents come along and then a lot of times it's their grandparents that come along. So I've had to become sort of an entertainer for, for lots of generations but my very, very first, in, you know, impulse is to make kids laugh, right? So I want them laughing. I want them to be not excited to be in a storytelling assembly because they don't have to go to math or science or writing class. I want them to be excited because the stories are exciting and funny, right? So in some ways, like the book was written to be silly and funny, you know, so, um, and, and I want kids and families as they're reading the book out loud to be laughing for sure but you're right. There's a. It's funny. That one of the early drafts, I'm sure you realize the, the amount of rewriting we do as writers. Oh, yeah. yes. Oh, I, yes. <laughs> uh, I just heard this, that writing isn't writing. Writing is rewriting. So uh, early drafts of the story uh, hammered in what you just said much more on the nose in some ways that sort of took us out of the story, but I really needed to say it. Those early drafts had to be like, look, you know, this, Mm -hmm. this teacher, you know, just couldn't get it. And she didn't take the time. I mean, even, even you and I, for, for two seconds before we got on the podcast, you really said, how do I say your name? I want to learn how to say your name. And I really appreciate that. And my teacher could have done that in third grade and she didn't. Right. And you know, there were kids who would make fun of my dad in a way that was funny and we would laugh. And then there were kids who make fun of my dad in a way that was cruel and bullying. Right. And so part of me, you know, the early drafts of the book were like, Hey, you know, let's stop this. Let's not do that. You know? And then I realized, you know, with some, some help from, from Familius, you know, like, okay, let's make it, let's make sure that that's there underneath the story and you can figure that out. But yeah, i want, you know, one of the, the greatest things that just happened recently, actually, there's um two women from Familius that are helping me with, with, with the book coming out in, uh, next year. And they're, one of them is from Korea. And, I wrote it specifically thinking of families who speak Spanish. Mm-hmm. And she said, "This is exactly what happened to me. People couldn't pronounce my name. They couldn't even read the letters cuz we write in Korean. And I can't believe you told my story." Oh. And that's that's the that's, you know, that's the whole point of the book. In some ways I'm writing for one specific audience member, right? That that little girl whose parent one comes from Mexico, the other comes from Germany, and she's having the same thing I had. And then obviously you hope that it reaches the universal, right? And, and so in some ways, like that's, I, I mean, I, th- I think there's a lot there. There's, there's a lot of kids who are going to feel different ways and I want them to be proud of how they feel. You know, like I said, I could have used that book in the seventies. I could have used a book about divorce in the seventies. I could have used a lot of these books. And, you know, there's a lot of amazing authors who are bringing these books out now. And I'm really thrilled to be a part of that. I do want, you know, I do want those kids who... You know, I mean, back to what we we're talking about, my dad with the accent, you know, it's very hard for someone who doesn't speak the language to be able to speak the language in a way that sounds good to the language speaker. You know, my absolutely my, exactly. And so it's hard, like, you know, rolling your R's, you were able to do it, but not every, not everybody can do that. And so that's, you know, that I want to give people a pass there with that. But it, but still just trying to trying to do that, I think, is is part of it.
0: And it's, uh, you're bringing up so many good points because sometimes it's one of the benefits of, you know, being able to travel, no matter where we're able to travel across st- state lines or country lines, right? Where I think that we all appreciate when somebody tries mm. and what you said, the difference between bullying or simply not trying and the, and somebody who makes an honest attempt to say, well, tell me about you or tell me how I pronounce your name or how do you prefer to be addressed, right? All of those things that help us connect with people rather than push people away. And books like yours are wonderful conversation starters as well, because even if the listener, maybe a teacher is you know, reading it to a classroom, and maybe if that child isn't affected by somebody not being able to pronounce their name, maybe the person next to them or behind them or whatever is. And so it starts the conversation, the dialogue about how do we do with it how do we deal with this you know what do we do when somebody's different from us and most people are different from us because they're unique individuals and books like yours make it safe to talk about that
1: it's true the 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 other thing that i you know, it is. It's a model. It's a. It's. A, it, I love the idea. It's, it is, a, a, book is a, starter, mm-hmm. a book as a conversation starter. Book as a. As you know, the the, this, the saying windows and doors as a window into another culture or a mirror. This is what's going on with you. I love that those kinds of thoughts. But the other thing that I'm I'm really excited about. I've been I've been developing this. I've been telling the story for years, and I've been you know it's now as as a picture book. It's a new a new iteration of it. The idea that many of us are named after very important people in the lives of our parents. Mm-hmm. And some of us know those stories and some of us don't. And I'm also aware that many kids are just named, just cool names. They have no real connection to their name at all, right? They they were whatever, the mom liked to go to Madison and so Madison is the name and that's whatever. But, but some kids, a lot of kids will have be named after a long lost, beautiful relative mm-hmm. or after a very important, you know, in the Cuban tradition, Um, many families have, uh, they take on the name of Catholic saints. So we celebrate our saint day even more than our own own birthday. Mm -hmm. And so there's a a glimpse into the culture. Some cultures um, don't do nicknames and some do, and some only do nicknames and some have the same nickname, you know, for the same, for the same name. So I love to ask kids. uh, I, I love kids to feel like they have something to talk about as well. Very few kids will have the exact same experience I have, but can they go home and investigate why they have that middle name? Why were they named? For whom were they named after? Uh, you know, and and hopefully they can, they can investigate that. And then if they don't know, like, wait a minute, who is that long lost Aunt Lorraine? Who was she? Who knows about her? Is there a grandma around that can talk about Lorraine? Oh, are there pictures of her at home? You know, I want that discussion happening. I want them to investigate that.
0: Such a good point. So let me ask you, who are you named after?
1: I, so this is very interesting. I was named after my dad who was named Mm. after his dad who was Ah. named after his dad. So you can see, but it's funny Ah. for Cubans, I'm not the fourth, I'm not Antonio the fourth. If it was, if I was in the United States, I might be the fourth. We all have different middle names. And so Mm. my middle name, and this came out when I was in my twenties, I didn't even know. My middle name, Bernardo is, it's my father's best friend from Cuba that was never allowed to leave the island. And Ah. my father, it was so painful for him to think about all that he lost, you know, when they, when they left Cuba in the 1950, 1959, 1960, during the revolution, they thought they'd be going back any minute. So, you know, like we'll be back in in six months after this whole thing blows over. And, you know, some, some chose to stay stay in Cuba and some Mm -hmm. chose to come to the United States. Some couldn't leave, some couldn't come back, you know, that sort of rupture that happened. And so, you know, I'm named after a man I'll never met, uh, I'll never meet, who was my dad's best friend, whom he never saw again. And that's really powerful.
0: Very powerful.
1: And I love to share that with kids. I don't, I don't mean to suggest that everyone has a real powerful, dramatic story behind their name, but still, even, even if it was just my dad's best friend because they played baseball together, that's still something that, that's worth, worth understanding or, or, or knowing. But the other, the other thing that happens in Cuban families, this is funny because it's a little bit of a cultural difference. The old ladies and men call the youngest papito or mamita. Papito literally means little, little daddy. So my grandmother would say to me, hi, little daddy. And papito is like a, it's a term of endearment. Now my Mexican friends use papito when you're talking to a boyfriend or mamita as a girlfriend, oh, papito, come here. It's like, hey, boyfriend, come over here. I want to give you a hug. And for Cubans, it's no, it's, hey, little kid, come over here. So that's one of my nicknames, papito. And uh, one of the my Mexican friend thinks, oh, Papito, your grandma is calling you Papito. I'm like, oh, no, it's different in Cuba. So it just becomes another another conversation. And some, oh, I do, I'm very careful to, to ask kids, if you're embarrassed by your nickname and you don't want to share it, you don't have to. Because sometimes we get called, you know, whatever. You know, there might be a silly name in your family that's a little embarrassing to bring out in second or third grade. You don't want everyone to be calling you. Absolutely. You know. yeah. Nice,
0: Nice helping them set boundaries. Exactly. I mean, really good work in allowing them to understand you can have a boundary around your nickname. You can have a boundary around all of those teachable moments, right?
1: For sure. Thank
0: you for doing that.
1: <laughs> I, well, it's funny. It's, you know, it happens. I mean, I, I'm so aware of like, you know, oh, this is very interesting because I work in a lot of schools where there are, there's a lot of economic diversity from oh, There's, a, there's also the school, fancy a private school where I was telling this story, this amazing story about flying a kite I'm flying this kite in this huge field with my daughter and it's a blast. And the kid raises his hand. He says, that sounds like my backyard in Beverly Hills. And I'm like, oh my goodness. Um, and then, uh, you know, there are other kids who've never been in a field that big. Right. So, you know, I, I'm aware of that fact. I, I want to make sure that the kids feel that they're not being excluded for sure. I mean, there's a, there's enough of that that happens naturally on the, on the playground sometimes. So yeah, just trying to, trying to be aware of that as, as, as I go about the, my, my day telling stories.
0: Now, I have a question for you, going back to something you said earlier. Um, You know the familias values. You probably know them off by heart. Love (laughs) together, play together, learn together, work together, talk together, heal together, read together, eat together, laugh together. Mm. I noticed earlier you were talking about when you're doing, you're working with an assembly and you want the kids to laugh. You want to entertain them. Might be an obvious answer for you, but it's... Not obvious to me, so help me understand. Why is that what you chose? Mm. that laughter together?
1: There's two very specific, very important things for me. One is it's a very specific cue that the kids are listening. You know, mm. I, I have some friends who are stand-up comedians, and you know if a joke works, if the people laugh. If the people don't laugh, the joke doesn't work. So if a kid, you know, uh, if kids are sort of nodding and looking at you, it could be because the teacher is standing in the back with, you know, his arms crossed and saying, "You're all going to the, you know, detention room if you don't pay attention to this guy." But you can't fake the laughter. So I realized, like, that was sort of my little cue of like, are the kids listening? But then early on, I've been, you know, you you mentioned about me being a mentor, which I do feel like that's an important part of what I do. But I've been mentored by so many people. Mm. I even think about even Familius so Christopher Robin uh, with a you know the head of of the Familius you know right. saw yes, me yes. at a festival years ago and he said I think that thing that you just did is a book can you and I make it into a book and that was one mm. of the so so here's this man who doesn't know me who heard me for 20 minutes mentor me into this I write picture books but the first book I published with Familius was a a chapter book and oh could I do that um but i had an, a different mentor in storytelling in chicago and she said that i love this and i don't know if she stole it or it's credited to somebody else but it's just my my mentor jenny magnus she said that when the audience opens up their mouth with laughter you can then reach in and touch the heart and so i feel like i love that isn't that amazing i should i should see if it's if she got it from somebody or if she came up with it but that's i love that a lot and so i feel like okay let's and I'm also aware, I mean, you know, all the days I was in school, many of the days were amazing and beautiful and many of the days were a disaster. And, you know, I know that in, if I look at it, 300 kids in an assembly, five of them are having the best days of their life, five are having the worst days of their life, and the other ones are just at school. So I want those five kids who are having the worst day of their life to at least have 30 minutes of of enjoyment or disappearing into a story. Back to the the power of a book, you know, you are you have a bad day, you can open up a book and you can escape it you know, and that's really kind of amazing. So this whole like, and there's also a communal thing that happens when everybody's yes, laughing. Yes. One of my favorite things to do, I, I, I do this very intentionally. I will often, I, I tell stories very often to kids who only speak Spanish and are learning English and kids who only speak English, who might be learning Spanish. And so I tell the joke in Spanish. And half the room erupts in laughter, and the English-speaking kids like, "Wait, what did he say? Why is that funny?" And they all start talking together. And then I do it in English: "Why is why is that funny? What is what is it about a knock knock joke or whatever it is?" Oh, okay, great. So it's a it's a bridge, right? It's a it's, it's, it's a way of connecting. It's a way of
0: connecting. And also in that example that you just used, it's a way to learn. You have just taught people. Wait a second. There's something fun in that other language, and if I can decipher that, if I can learn that, maybe it won't be an impediment to me in the future in, in laughing at a joke. That's you know what it peaked for me. The other thing that I'm, I'm going back to the familia's values that when you talked about the woman reaching in, you know, when the mouth is open in laughter, you can reach in and touch the heart. So that seems to be very much aligned with the familiars value of healing together mm. because laughter is so healing, right? If, if you're having a disagreement with somebody or you don't understand somebody or, you know, life feels awful right in the middle of an airport and you're stuck there in a, snow, a snowstorm and somebody can make a joke, it's really healing, it is really uplifting.
1: It is. It is. You know, there's, there's a, there's a, you know, you're, you're a psychologist, and you probably know this better than I do. But there's a physical release. there's a, a stress relief that happens when you laugh or when you yawn or when you're whatever. And so let's give that to each other in our stressful moments. I don't know if you're aware of the work of Dr. Laura Markham. Uh, she's a, she's a psychologist who I discovered, and she writes writes a book about, well, basically the whole point is just exactly what you've been saying and what Familius tries to do. It's connecting before correcting. You know, when my son or my daughter is having an issue, you know, raised raised in the 70s for me, like you just did what your parents said because there was, you know, there was always a slap that could be happening or, you know, whatever. And like, oh no, I don't want to, you know. But instead of correcting first, why don't we connect first? And then it's easier. Then it's so much easier. If I want my kid to stop doing whatever he's doing, if I can get him laughing first, then it's like, hey, stop throwing the oatmeal at your sister. Oh, the okay, defenses
0: now. are down. Exactly. The defenses are down. With You are so right. I'm thinking of a funny story with my husband. When he's doing something, I'll actually, and I, I feel like a little irritated or something. I'll like make a joke about it. And he's laughing and I'm laughing, but he gets the message. Like Maybe that wasn't the kindest thing to say because laughter's entered the room laughter's entered the room and defenses go down yeah so absolutely my goodness so you bring classrooms and assemblies the gift of laughter and heart and connection and understanding through the power of a name you know i'm thinking that the title my name is cool well it's cool and we are all cool despite our differences, because of our differences. If we take the time to slow down, we are all pretty darn cool people. Mm -hmm. If we Mm -hmm. slow it down to really find that person underneath and, you know, withhold our judgments and all of that.
1: yeah. So that's the work you do, it seems. It is. I mean, it's funny. I really, once I started telling stories in schools, I began to then um, start doing a lot of professional developments for teachers. So the last 15 years, I've been really on a district level, working with teachers on how they can use the power of the storytelling oral tradition to help their kids learn reading mm-hmm. and, and writing. And this, there's a lot of research that's backed us up the last 15 years or years or so where, you know, and I, I, I also speak with parents a lot. The idea that when you're telling stories, you're, so many things are happening there's connection that happens which is an amazing thing we want right teachers you want to connect with your kids in the classroom parents we want to connect with their kids as their kids get older it's hard it gets harder and harder junior high high school puberty adolescence mm-hmm. how do we connect with our kids i want to i ask him how his day is oh fine you know no i want to know right so how do we connect but the other thing that's happening is the brain there's an activity in the brain that only happens with the oral tradition the speaking the the storytelling and so I want my kids' brains to be active. I want them, it's gymnastics for the brain. It's complicated. Mm-hmm. And then I also, you know, I, the, the last thing is, is really hard for parents because we're so busy. You know, I, I mean, I think, if you think about a typical day after school, you're, you're unpacking lunch bags and you're wrangling homework and trying to get dinner on the table. And if you have pets, you're taking care of pets. And, oh, here comes your wife or husband and want to connect there too and paying bills. and uh-uh. And so to tell a parent who's at that level also let's do some storytelling feels feels a little a little hard right i don't i don't want to stress anyone out i i want you know i want them to understand that there's this tool in their toolbox that can help with everything you know i think i go all the way back to when my daughter was in diapers you know she was squirming 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 on the diaper table and i was mad and trying to wrestle her little legs and she's so strong and i can't do it can't do it and i finally looked at her and i said Hey, Nina, when I was your age, I didn't want to get my diaper on either. And all of a sudden she stops and she's looking at me. So now ah. it's a story. And so now I'm telling her the story. And I don't remember. I don't, of course, I don't have that memory, but I'm just telling the story and her legs are still, and I'm getting the diaper on. So now diaper time becomes story time. And now diaper time becomes a favorite part of the day for little Nina. Cause I get five minutes to tell her a story, you know? So like you're already swamped. Why not make it easy? You know, you're in the car, everyone's fighting over whatever. What happens if we turn the screens off for five minutes? We're pulling up to a a thing and let's talk about, you know, I talked to parents about, you know, who do you know? Just talk to your kids about who you know. There's a hundred people in your family that your kids don't know about. Your coach from third grade, your your minister from church, your, you know, your the, the glee club you were a part of, the time you blah, blah, blah. Who is one kid on your soccer team in ninth grade that you could talk about to your to your kids now? Let's do that for the five minutes as we're pulling up to a restaurant instead of five more minutes on the screens. You know, I, I, you know, and that connection gets easier and easier. You know, we now have screen-free cars. Now we're just for my my wife and I and my kids. Now it's just all talking, and you know that took some time It took some practice and you know it's some dedication and car rides are amazing now. So you know it's 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 something that is possible and in some ways preferable. You know we are. And the last thing I'll say is, is that there's the component of listening. There's a joke in my family. Um, It sounds like an insult. And it is, I guess. My dad, I talk to him every couple, two or three times a week. He says, mijo, which means my son, mijo, it's amazing you make a living as a storyteller because you are only like the ninth best storyteller in our family. <laughs> Only the ninth best. I'm only the ninth best in my family, and in a way, it's a it's a compliment because the other eight storytellers are amazing. But my mom, whenever she would hear that, or you know, whenever I would tell that to her, she would say, "Yeah, Antonio, but you're the best listener in the family." Mm. And I feel that that is a gift that is really priceless to give to our kids to listen to them. There's so much I want to impart to my kids, so many lessons I want to tell them, so many dangers they have to look out for, so many books I want to introduce them to. But how often can I give them the gift of just listening to them and giving that space? You know, my daughter's in fourth grade and she's in that that le- time of year where she'll it'll take her 15 minutes to say one thing. She's just, right, and then blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, oh my gosh, get to the point, you know? But what else do I have to really do aside from just listen to her? And when she gets to the point, I know her better. And now there's more, more of things we can talk about tomorrow. I can ask her about what we talked about yesterday. So anyway, I'm just trying to remind parents of this simple simple thing that is just such a huge part of who we are as humans um, that is such a powerful tool for connecting and correcting. It's way absolutely. Yeah.
0: I 100% agree with you, Antonio, because... Listening is the greatest gift. So many people would prefer to speak than to listen. And whether it's with our partner or with our children or a friend. So many people are so anxious to say what they want to say, right? Or so interested in, you know, having the first word and the last word and the middle words that they don't pause to listen. And the way you described it, I think was so eloquent and beautiful that even if your daughter or your wife or your husband is, you know, going on and on, you're thinking, okay, what's the point? If you blink, if you turn your ears off, Right for a minute, if you divert your attention, you might miss one of those amazing kernels of that person's heart and soul. Like you said, if you're listening, you know that person a little bit better. And sometimes people go on and on, I think, because they have never really been listened to well enough that, and stories sometimes do go on and on. And so for us to work on that patience within ourselves, if we're really not having patience to listen to a child's story or a partner's story, I have this lovely quote by my desk that it says, our listening creates a sanctuary for the homeless parts within another person. Mm. and that was not written by me and I think it is just it is I keep it up there because it is so beautiful because I listen for a living right I mean that's what psychologists do they listen and guide and listen and guide and I really believe that that so much healing takes place when we actively listen and you've really and I also want to speak to the other thing you said I've never heard anyone talk before about using a story to shift dynamics like you did with diapering your daughter. And I think that's brilliant, a brilliant tool. So thank you for that. And listeners, grab that one. I can really see that working in a lot of a lot of situations, (laughs) not just with children, mind you, with adults and coworkers (laughs) and everyone. Let's create stories because stories are magical.
1: (laughs) It's so funny. There's another part to that that I wanted to think about both my kids, but my daughter, again, it's also retelling them the story of what they did. And I think there's something really powerful there. So I'm thinking specifically, my daughter was just learning to ride a bicycle and she, she went around the corner and she, she ended up smashing into something and she lost her two front baby teeth. It was mm. traumatic. It was very, very scary. Mm. And, and then we, you know, we took care of the, the emergency and she was fine. And, and then we, and she said, dad, I want to go back to the spot where I had the accident and I didn't want to, cause I was there and I was seeing her bleeding and wondering oh. if she broke something. And, and I said, okay, honey, let's go. And we went back and um, she says, dad, I was turning the corner and I could have done three things. I could have hit that pole or I could have gone into the traffic and got hit by that car, or I could have smashed into that thing. And I realized that this was the thing to hit. And she, it, it was just one of these moments where I was like, honey, so you had the bravery in this really scary moment to choose the least bad option for you. Mm -hmm. And this has become like, this has become a touch point in terms of her being brave. Nina, remember when you were brave, when you were five years old, whenever, whatever, going off the diving board or whatever she's doing. And so this story that I, you know, I don't know if she would have remembered that, but I have retold that story to her a hundred times now. And so this is a a fabric of her life, a time when she was brave, even though it was scary and how how it ended up. And so I think that's kind of amazing. You know, I I was, I grew up with the story of my father saying, I came here without even the language, with no money, with no, we had to find a place to live. And, you know, so I feel like, wow, you survived that. Well, then I can survive this, this small thing that I'm dealing with. I think that these, these stories of our own power or the power of our, our ancestors are really, for, can be really formative. Um,
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. I agree with you when you think of your daughter having that courage, you know, to move through the fear, to have that courage to move through the fear and go forward. Your father having fears about what's on the other side, you know, what does that new land hold for me? Moving through that fear with that fear in that face of fear with courage to get to the other side. I think Absolutely. And letting people make sense. Like your daughter, she was making sense of what happened to her through reliving this story and coming out to this positive, you know, let's call it a happy ending, right? Which is, even if stories don't always have happy endings, we can use them as learning opportunities.
1: For sure. I think that there's something, it's funny, I, as a dad, I feel differently reading stories now, especially fairy tales, which I love fairy tales. There's a lot of problems with some of the old fairy tales. And one of them is the violence in the story, in this, a lot of the stories that are, mm-hmm. are happening. However, one of my, one of my, another one of my storytelling mentors, uh, has a, it's an apocryphal story, I think, that one, he heard a storyteller change the ending of Three Little Pigs, that instead of the wolf being uh, boiled alive and eaten, the wolf ran off into the woods and the kids started crying because the wolf is still out there. So, the idea of like we can vanquish these these scary things through our ingenuity is a powerful message. I don't want my daughter to hear about a wolf that's going to eat pigs or pigs that are eating a wolf. that sounds this sounds counterintuitive. However, here are three brothers who get together to vanquish this big wolf foe in a way that keeps the whole society safe. So, I feel like there's something there's something interesting in the in the hard stories. as much as I want to p- protect my children. We live in Los Angeles and they're seeing hard stories on the walk to school. We're seeing homelessness and we're seeing despair and we're seeing all kinds of things. And It just happens. I, I, you know, what am I going to do? Cover their eyes as they're walking to school every day? No, now we have to talk about homelessness. Now we have to talk about the, now we go to the library and get some resources and figure out what's going on and where do we give our charity money and what do we really, what do we really do? It, it you know, talking about the hard things is helping them grow too.
0: Absolutely. And I am a firm believer. I know some of the old school fairy, you know, fairy tale people and really appreciate them. I've learned so much from them because those unromanticized, unsanitized versions of the original fairy tales. Yes, some of them are a bit brutal, but they all have life lessons that were passed down from generation to generation. You know, Baba Yaga that gave way to Cinderella, right? That in the version of Baba Yaga, it's very scary, but boy, does the young woman become in touch with her intuition and her inner strength and her her righteous ferocity. So definitely the power of our original fairy tales. We don't want to, to lose that to the highly romanticized versions because you're right. We do want to protect our children and our, the little ones in our lives. But we also want them to know that they too have the power to move forward in life despite
1: the obstacles that come our way. For sure. One of my friends says that, you know, there, you know, there's people who are in the middle of a huge obstacle or who are going to be in the middle of a huge obstacle. There's no way around it, you know? So it's, you know, we do, you, know, you can't prepare your kids for every scenario. You know, I tried, you know, my daughter had a helmet and she had a good bike and everything was fine, but I couldn't prepare that she, that she was, that was going to happen. So, you know, how does she take care of herself? You know, and this is the hard part of, of sort of letting go as a dad, letting, letting them you know letting them, you know, walk to the park by themselves, letting them go into the store by themselves or whatever. It's like, okay, within reason, it's still like, okay, they're, they're, they're going to have to figure this out. And we want them, we want them to be able to, to, to do that, you know?
0: Absolutely, as safely as possible, right? Give them as much rope as they they can to go out in that world. So if, you know, and then we still have the rope, and we can pull them back and keep them safe. That's how I like to look at it. Just give them enough.
1: Exactly, then, just enough.
0: How do you do with this much? Okay, all right.
1: <laughs> prove to me you can handle more. Exactly. Yes,
0: please, universe. Please, you know, prove that you're watching over too. Okay. Uh-huh. Uh so as we prepare to wind down are there any other gifts maybe one or two more key points as if you haven't offered us plenty right but anything else you'd like to
1: to bring up well i i appreciate what you've well, I guess what I want to say is I appreciate your questions and also you're just modeling listening. It's so, I mean, part of being on a podcast is to talk, right? Both of us to talk, but that idea of, of, you know, that modeling of listening, that's such a, such a powerful tool in, in families. I think that that's, I can't really reiterate that enough, especially mm-hmm. with, and again, I'm coming from it knowing how busy we're going to be in the holiday season and all these things. But a second thing that happened, so I'm, I'm, I'm now, my son is in seventh grade. He is entering adolescence, which Mm. is massive, (laughs) ridiculous mood swings. And a friend of mine just two days ago, and this is, this speaks a little bit to the listening, right? Being like, I'm, I'm, it came up in a moment of quiet as we were, we are we are talking. He said, you know, my daughter's going through it too. And it's kind of a nightmare. He said, but he looks at it as if he's the edge of the swimming pool. And the daughter's job is to come up and cuddle with him and then shove off of the swimming pool and go as deep as she can. And when she feels the need to come back, she comes back and cuddles with him. So every time she's shoving off, every time my son is screaming at me, every time he's telling me that I'm I'm stupid. He comes, I know that he's going to come back and get the the cuddles that he needs. Now I'm human. I'm mad at my son for for doing that to me. What do you, (laughs) what do you mean? I'm stupid. I'm the, you're, you you, you know, and I get in and that's not helping. So Mm -hmm. I have to realize it's natural for him to push at me, to push his sister, to push his mother. And then it's natural for him to come back. And so how can I hold in that paradox of here's this nasty little kid who just needs a hug in about five minutes. He needs to express himself in that way. And so I guess I I want to speak very directly to parents who have adolescent kids who are right now feel like the worst kid in the world. You know they're not. You can remember when they were giggly on the diaper table and they're going to be giggly cuddling with you again sometime soon. But right now when you're in it, uh, the famous old story, the punchline, you know, this too shall pass, right? Absolutely. This is gonna, and I'm, I'm, I'm almost speaking to myself, you know, I'm going to, uh, I'm like, you know what? This is going to pass. He's not going to always, you know, be this, this person that he's presenting right now. And as a matter of fact, in five minutes, he won't be. He you know, won't be. He won't no, be. he'll be
0: back for his cuddles. Yeah. And you're right. They go through those stages where you're trying to hug this porcupine and yeah. you really want to hug the porcupine and love the porcupine. But it doesn't want to be hugged and it doesn't want to be loved and you'll get stung if you try and hug that porcupine. Yeah. Right. And so it's that part where you're saying, you know, one of the biggest gifts we can give as parents is to show, you know, here at the boundaries, you know, this isn't okay. I still love you. I'm still here, but this is how we treat people we love. So you mm-hmm. go ahead and jump off and go swimming in your pool, mm-hmm. but I'll be here. Mm-hmm. I'll be here with my boundaries intact and my love intact. And it's a it's a you know, hard when when we watch them go through spurts like that for yeah. all of us parents.
1: Yeah, for sure, for sure. And the, I think the last thing I would say, uh, it's th- there's a very interesting writing exercise I do. Just, um, I do it a lot. It's just going through Joseph Campbell's myth model and the fact that the hero or the heroine on her journey or his journey is going to get wounded, and mm-hmm. that's coming down the pike. It's coming down the pike for your kids, for you, for your your family, and then they're going. To have somebody help them, a mentor is going to appear, and there are mentors everywhere. Mm-hmm. There are mentors for sure in the library. There are mentors at Familius. I mean, I'm thinking about even my specific problem with my kid. I know that there's a Familius book that's going to help me, and I'm going to go look for that. Um, there are mentors that you've never even met. Yeah, you know, old, you know, prophets and 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 uh, you know, whatever religious figures. Shakespeare can be a mentor of yours. So if you if you're in trouble right now, find a mentor. And it's now, this is the, 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 the flip side of how, you know, how we all complain about the internet and social media. The flip side is they are out there. You know, there's some really fun internet things of like mommy, mommy's being mean because they're, you know what I mean? Or you know what I mean? Like, okay, so here is what, and it's, it's so funny. Cause it's so true. I'm not the only one who feels that way. That's amazing. Okay, great. Now I can go on with my day. So if, you know, if you're in the middle of something, even a project, you want to be a writer there's a writer out there who's going to help you whether you can talk to them or not. It's out there. So, you know, I, am I'm, I'm proud to be part of the Familius team of trying to help in the ways that we can help, you know? And, and for me, it's through the magic of story and storytelling and not that won't resonate for everybody, but there's, there's author and our, and familiars are authors in other, uh, other places, podcasts out there. I'm getting so much enjoyment from getting through the dishes at night with amazing podcasts, that has helped me as a person and as a writer and as a parent. And I'll just, I'll just type in that little thing, whatever, you know, whatever issue I'm going through, mean kid going through adolescence and a podcast <laughs> and is a out podcast comes up. For sure. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I just say that, you know, if you're in the, I mean, you, even you, I mean, if I ever need a psychologist, I'm calling you. I mean, they're, they are out here there. Here I
0: am. There I, you are. <laughs> I and am so here.
1: And so if you need help, you got to find that help. And however that that is. And, and you know, in certain cultures my my dad's own cuban culture you know it was it's hard to want to see a therapist i remember that in my in my 20s when things were bad it was not easy to talk to my dad about that that's kind of a cultural difference we had and realizing no wait a minute there's there's help that can be had and i'm going to i'm going to try to find it so anyway that's that's just something that i would i would say
0: thank you for bringing that up it's big really big because listeners we all need mentors Anthony needs mentors or Antonio, sorry, Antonio needs mentors. Carla needs mentors. Everyone in the world needs mentors. Why? Because if we don't have mentors, we struggle unnecessarily. And if we don't have mentors, we don't learn. Mm -hmm. And I, sounds like Antonio and I agree on, on many things, including this one. If we don't have mentors in our lives, then we stop evolving and transforming. So please, parents, if there's something you're struggling with, find a mentor, whether, and I love, Antonio, how you said a book can be a mentor. Oh, how true. A podcast can be a mentor. A best friend who has wisdom in an area can be a mentor, somebody, a coworker, a partner, right? So there are mentors everywhere and it does not make you weak to seek out a mentor. It makes you very, very strong and very, very courageous. So thank you. Oh my goodness, Antonio. I loved sharing time with you today. And as we conclude our podcast, please tell our listeners where they can find you.
1: Yes, uh, Carla. I had a blast talking with you. That's, that's amazing. You're, you're amazing at what you do. Um, they can find me. Uh, the best spot is my, is my website, which is antoniosacre.com. Antonio Sacre. My last name is spelled S A C R E.com. And I'm also on Instagram and Twitter under the same name, Antonio Sacre. My Instagram is a lot of fun, so you can come and check that out. And uh, my website will lead you to some, some videos and some, uh, I have a bunch of audio recordings that are on Spotify or that you can stream for free. You can play them in the car. I would rather you tell your own stories in the car, but if you want to share my stories with your children on a car trip, I've got six hours of material that you can share. There's some, some really fun stories there. And I'm really excited to, um, to have been able to talk with you today on, on one of my favorite publishers uh, podcast and to talk with you, Carla. Thank you. And as we
0: conclude, let me just spell Antonio's name one more time. It's A-N-T-O-N-I-O, Sacre, S-A-C-R-E, and I'm going to give it a try. Please forgive me. This was Antonio Bernardo Sacre, and his book is My Name is Cool. All
1: Thank right. you so much. I hope <laughs> <I hope laughs> I was, that was fantastic. You nailed it.
0: Yay. All right. Thank you, listeners, and thank you, Antonio. As we conclude today's podcast, I'd like to thank Familius Publishing for their support in bringing this podcast to your ears and your heart. We'd be thrilled if you'd subscribe to the podcast and leave us a review on iTunes and social media. If you'd like more wonderful Familius content, like the wonderful book, My Name is Cool, we talked about today, be sure to visit us at Familius.com, where you will find our Habit Hub blog, as well well a spectacular selection of books for families. One step at a time, we can and will make the world a happier place. Thank you for sharing your time with me, Dr. Carla Marie Manley. It has been a joy and a true pleasure. Be well and shine as only you can do. And if you find yourself laughing, that's a good thing. Remember, you're opening up your mouth so you can let some laughter reach right back into your heart take good care. Thanks for your time and thanks for being with us today.